When the fires die down and the guests are full, the only thing left to do is enjoy the company. Best done with a fresh cigar and a cold drink. This is After the Cook. What's going on, everybody? How are we doing today? It's another episode of After the Cook with my man, the Barbecue Buddha, and myself, Mr. Dark Side of the Grill. How are you doing today, Mr. Buddha? I'm hyped, dude. I'm so hyped. I'm, I'm actually feeling Canadian today. It's cold here in Florida. Very cold. Oh, no. What, what, make, what makes I'm, it I'm cold? I'm Look, my nipples are hard. I was going to say. It happens it. one of two things. When we're together in person and when it's a little chilly here in Florida, those are the two things. And here we have almost both of them simultaneously. Well, that's beautiful. See? That's fantastic. That awkward, that's, actually. It was awkward, wasn't it? It was a little Have you awkward. hopped in the pool yet? No, you know, but that's the big trend these days is like the cold water plunge first thing in the yes. day. So I, to be direct, I often wake up and think about doing it, but I haven't done it yet. No, you should I do should. It. I definitely think you should do it. Yep. I, uh, should I do it and put it on like the socials and stuff? Do you yeah, think why that would be? You? Why wouldn't you? Do a cannonball. We know someone who likes to do cannonballs in the pool. Be a good we time. We do. I think. You're scheduled to come back down here. You're doing all sorts of things. You're you're doing an event down here at uh, Grill and Provisions Place. We've got my book kickoff release party that's happening that you're going to be at. And then We're I think baby. we, I think we package you in a in in a plane and send you off to Australia after that. Right? That's it. Just so happens, Australia, ladies and gentlemen, Mel's going to be going to meet stock. And guess who is on the show today? Huh. Someone from Australia. So that's going to be from a good Australia. time. It's an amazing tie-in. So what what are you the most excited about doing when you're in Australia other than meat stock? Um, do you have like a thing? Like, you, you know, you want to go see like the Sydney Opera House? No. Or no. go to the Outback and, and uh, walk about? What, what are you going to do? Logistics providing and timeline providing. I really want to go to a river. And okay. fish for a species called the Jardini, the Australian Jardini. It is a, a breed of arowana, just like, remember my, my super red Asian arowanas? It's a breed of arowana that's native to Australia. And they swim across the top of the water. They're a top water species. And I right. just, it would be cool to catch a pet with a fishing rod. I would really like to do that. So, so you I'm would excited. keep it alive no. and somehow get it back no, to no, no, no. the United States? That's absolutely impossible. If I was going to do that, it would be a small saltwater crocodile in my pocket, but we're not talking about that, are we? That's oh, a, so you just want to catch it, see what it would be one. like to catch something. Exactly. That, have you owned this thing yes. before? So I've you know what it's Jardini. like to have it. Yes. Is it I've legal raised to them from babies to like great big ones, right? I've had all kinds and yeah, it would just be, it would be really wild to say like I... I went fishing for one of these. And there's like tons of wildlife that I'm super excited to see. I'm super excited for like the, the bird eating uh, tarantulas and stuff like that. But I hope I don't see them in a shitter. That's the one thing. Because snakes and spiders, bugs, insects, of the 10 most venomous anythings, eight live yeah. in Australia. So like God does not like Australians apparently. Because well, like a- they've got... It was a penal colony, I think, back in the day. I mean, right? Australia? That's where where the British shipped all their vagabonds and degenerates (laughs) and the people that that they didn't want. You know, it was like a big prison. That island was a big prison, I think. So Britain sent them all of their penile entities. (laughs) Yes. To the the island of... You were just talking about fishing for marijuana fish. That's right. Marijuana fish. That's right. Exactly. That's what I heard. The, the Australian arowana, very cool. So yes, there. That's that's the, and I I hope I get to do some agriculture stuff. I hope I get to see some cows and, and farms and stuff because I guess it's quite yeah. similar to Alberta there. What part of Australia is meat stock? Is it in a city or do they stick you like in the center there, of the com- I, country? I believe it's uh, it's in Sydney, Sydney, Australia, and oh, I don't okay. think it's right in the center. I think it's kind of to the on to the, the side, the so. coast. Yeah, All right. we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And you're going with Al. In the live fire gang? Alphagoni. Could be a good time. What are you going to be cooking in meat stock? What's the plan? Uh, There isn't quite a plan yet. Uh, We're flying by the seat of our pants, which is uh, classic for me. And uh, like when I work with Al, right? Al is a very scatterbrained squirrel type person as well. So we do do some pretty 
sporadic, crazy things like that. So Australia is going to be But I mean, what like is that. the, what's the goal? Are you selling Al's stuff? Are you selling your own brand? What, what, like you, I'm an Australian person. I've bought a ticket to meat stock. I'm at the festival. I'm watching Jess Prowls do stuff. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at that. And all of a sudden I stumble across dark side of the grill and out from Goni. What, what, what are you all doing? What is the booth? What are you selling? We're selling live fire. Okay. Um, and barbecue, big honking pieces of meat, whole proteins, whole animals, that kind of thing. Al's going to be bringing his Argentinian flair. Right. And, uh, I'm going to be bringing that Canadian. Here it goes. So. Got it. So it'll be the two of you doing, cooking on like Al's grills and stuff, the live yep. fire type stuff. Exactly. And they have all kinds of fixtures, all kinds of neat things that we'll probably get to play with. So we'll see where, where that goes. Sounds great. I'll, I'll tell you what, this whole uh, uh, fasting thing is getting wild, man. You're I dropped still doing it. Yeah, I dropped 17 pounds now. Nice. In two weeks, That's which fantastic. is almost scary. Yeah, it's almost scary, right? And yeah. uh, a couple days ago, I started doing a shot of uh, apple cider vinegar in the morning because they say it like it launches you into ketosis or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really, I just almost barf every every morning. It's so gross, but uh, yeah, it's the things that we do for uh, Yeah, I think if you do apple cider vinegar and cayenne pepper, I think that's- That's what they were saying, and ginger and turmeric. Yeah, turmeric is very powerful. That sounds disgusting. Turmeric tea, turmeric is supposedly good for the inflammation in your body. And now, for all of our listeners, please understand- that I am also, ki- not literally, but figuratively, I'm also kind of full of shit because it's Sunday night. Right. Yesterday was Sunday night and I went to the keg and I had a beautiful filet mignon. Okay. Blue, purple rare, purple rare, this steak. And then I uh, okay. I, I paired it with two beautiful old fashions, eagle rare old fashions. They were they were a bit put off that I wanted to, to put eagle rare in an old fashioned, but I don't care because I was chipping. It's, you do you. But, but, That's it. But. But our listeners, our astute and keen audience, may have yes. noted that in a previous episode, you said you were going to make it till January 19th when you went Correct. to New Orleans before you drank again. And but now you've, you've snuck in two old fashioned. So what, what, what was, was that the first time you've drank this month? And what made yes. you break down and get Eagle Rare Old Fashions? Because I went halfway. And I knew that I was breaking at some point after halfway so i figured halfway was a decent halfway to your goal is that correct what and you know how i overthink things all the time i don't want to get to the shed have a, a you know triple captain and diet and then and get like out. shit-faced and belligerent right <laughs> did you <laughs> so, I so I, did you notice with just like a couple of weeks being yes. off the juice that yes. a couple of fashions did the trick i felt warm which is usually it would take me six to feel warm so yeah I was quite, I was quite excited about that. Did it end at those two? Yeah, that was it. Because it was eight p.m. Oh. Right, the fasting thing is, I still stuck to eight p.m. You're to. done. Okay. Yeah. So I was able to get a big steak, some escargot, and two uh, old fashions before eight p.m. And then at eight p.m., lock her up, cowboy. Were you all and by I still yourself? Eaten. Did you bring the girls? Who Who were you no, dining with? Myself. Just by yourself. That's it. Which is you another went, weird thing that I've never done much. Walk into a right. restaurant as such as like the keg, which is a big steakhouse, right? And then right. just sit down by myself and order a meal. But Did you just do it just to wind down the weekend and get your yeah, head straight to, for the week to come? Just to finish it up and set the tone for... Anybody recognize you? Anybody come up and say, hey, that's dark side of the crib? Nobody, nobody shook my hand this time. <laughs> nobody shook my I hand would've. this time. I would have. So how you doing, Buddha? Doing okay. It's yeah. weird. Uh, it's a weird cold snap here. It got warm again after um, the holidays, and we were enjoying typical Florida weather. But it's now back in like it's like forty five, fifty degrees. So it's for here. That's cold. I know it's warm for you, but for us, it's pretty chilly. So yep. it's fun weekend. Had yep. visitors in from out of town. You know, and it's the curse living in Florida. You have visitors come in from out of town. It's beautiful weather leading up to their visit, and then it gets really cold and rainy when they're here, and that's basically what we had this weekend. 
Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I stole all of the sunshine when I was down there. You all had a good stretch. It was pretty nice when you were here. We were on the pontoon boat. We went, he got pulled over by the police. I did get pulled uh, over by the police. And I handled that like a champ, didn't I? You did. I was so. I was so impressed how quickly you hooped that bag of Coke. That was (laughs) 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 What the hell was that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was either that or go down with the ship. No, I I hear you. you I almost went swimming there. I was like, and I'm out. That's it. Yeah. We were okay. I was in And then we, we went to this little pub. And we ordered Easy Peel Shrimp, but of course, I only ordered one order. I should have ordered three orders, so that sucked. Mm. But they were really good Easy Peel Shrimp. They were. But now you've got a game plan for the next time you're here. That's right. We're getting 38 pounds of stone crab. Right. We'll have so much stone crab, we just carry it around with us in like little knapsacks and just eat stone crab as we're driving around. I actually have an insulated fanny pack that I can bring. That gives me all kinds of visuals. Yes. It's like the boss fanny pack. It's, yeah. Right. It's so give me cool. like a, a day in the life of that fanny pack. What's the most action it's seen? Like what what kind of like a little snack or something did you keep in your insulated fanny pack that saw the light of day? So here's something that you're going to learn about Mel right now. If it's it a came penguin, out of the, I'm going to punch you in the throat. <laughs> it came out of a box. Okay. And it had a good once over and I, you know, did a couple zippers and maybe a snap. And then I hung it on a wall where I then forgot about it for three years until just now. (laughs) I have a lot of walls with a lot of hooks and a lot of strange things that I don't even know I have until such time as someone brings it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now how are you going to use it? Now that you've reminded yourself that you have it, are you going to take it with you to meat stock and like put those... It's not that, you know, it's not Australian arowana fish in there and try to. It's not the image I'm going for. No? No. I spent so much time picking out my sneakers and my flannels. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I feel that that, that fanny pack is just not going to bring it. The way I won't I do it. To, to bring it. Maybe if I got one with flames on it. Yeah, a flame fanny pack. A, f- a flame, a flaming fanny pack. <laughs> oh, you can't write this shit, can you? Yeah, no, no honestly. Perfect. Right on. Yeah. Did you know that it's noon? It's two here. There you go. Are you what are we doing at noon? Here? You're I, eating. I think we're going to have a podcast. Oh, I see what you're saying. That was a gentle <laughs> reminder that I needed to do my job. Okay, well, I thought you were talking about breaking your fast. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Mel mentioned earlier that he's going to Australia. But as a little teaser, we brought Australia to After the Cook. We have the one, the only, Jess Pryles joining us today on After the Cook. It's going to be exciting. I cannot wait to talk to her about her past, her present, and her future. Yes, it's going to be absolutely deadly. She's quite the beast in the barbecue world, so uh, this is going to be a good one. Straight from Austin, Texas, by way of Australia, Jess Pryles. Hi, madame. How are you doing? If you scooch a little bit over, it'll look like those antlers are coming out of your head. Now, that would be killer. Our our (laughs) views and uh, likes would go up exponentially. There you go. Jess with horns on her head. Yeah, now I'm purposefully leaning. Thanks for the heads off. You're welcome. How are you? You look cold. I'm doing great. No, I mean, it's not. It's fine. It's, you know, Texas winters are not something you can complain about, honestly. So, <laughs> like I say that, watching people shovel snow just to get to the grocery stores, and we don't have to do that. With snow. Yeah, yeah. Wait, and whereabouts in Texas are you, Austin? Yeah, in Austin. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, that's the, all the all the good joints sucked in there, eh? That's uh, yeah, it's, it's all, not a good place to be. Awesome, you joining us? We got a, a ton of stuff to talk about. Uh, right off the bat, I'd like to uh, touch on you being from Australia and now transplanted to uh, Austin. This, this all started from you just visiting 
Was it? You just yeah. visited for, uh-huh. for barbecue and then, and that was it, eh? It just bit you, eh? Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds so simplistic, but I think that, you know, those are the things that plant the seeds that grow into bigger things for us. So for me, it was um, just visiting Texas for the first time. And Austin, 15 years ago, was a very different place. And it was just a really cool spot to be. And I fell in love with the city and the vibe and the state and all of the things. And then, of course, as a tourist, you have to go and eat barbecue. And it was just this spot that I wanted to keep coming back to, maybe like your favorite vacation spot or just somewhere that makes you feel feel things. It felt like that's where I should be. So I started coming back and learning more about barbecue. And, you know, both those things started growing at the same time. My fascination with barbecue and cooking meat and my love for Texas. So eventually I it got to the stage where I was like, all right, we should probably just move now. <laughs> yeah. What came first? Did you visit Texas just because you were an Aussie coming to the United States and happened to visit mm-hmm. Texas? Or were you starting to get the barbecue itch and made a beeline for Texas barbecue, which was the first? That's a great question. It was actually just that I happened to come to Texas. Australians are very well known for being good travelers. You know, we're so remote down there that even to get to the closest country away, you know, to get to New Zealand, still a four hour flight. So we, we travel the world and do our thing. And, you know, honestly, at the time, uh, Franklin wasn't open yet. It, that, that true renaissance of barbecue hadn't happened yet. The barbecue that you would go and have were things like you'd go to Lockhart to the historic areas. You would, you know, some of the older school joints that unfortunately, slash fortunately, depending on the food, are not even existing in Austin anymore. But also at the time in Australia, we didn't have anything like that. So the Australian barbecue scene has grown significantly over the past five years. It's still in its infancy. The idea of barbecuing being slow smoking, offset cooking, um, it, it just didn't exist there. So I didn't even necessarily know what barbecue was in order to pursue it. Do you feel somewhat responsible for that barbecue explosion happening in Australia because it did sort of align with you coming here at about that time. I, I wouldn't say that I was responsible, but I feel like I was definitely a, a, a shepherd for, for the interest that was already there. So me and a guy called Jay Beaumont, who now runs Meatstock, which is the largest meat festival in the world, and Adam Roberts, who's now a famous pit master in his own right, we all founded the Australasian Barbecue Alliance, which was the sanctioning body down there. It was the first of its kind down there. It was the largest, it's still the largest in the Southern Hemisphere. And through coming back and forth to Texas, I was doing a lot of media interviews. I was doing a lot of events. I was definitely, <laughs> you know, I've got to use the word shepherding again, but definitely uh, nursing the the barbecue scene in its infancy and trying to get as much information as I had to, to people down there. You just captured lightning in a bottle. You happened to visit Texas. You happened to fall in love with brisket led to barbecue and coincidentally your homeland was also having this sort of epiphany and the two were better than the one it galvanized yeah i mean i think that i think that a few of us who were really like living the religion of barbecue were responsible for hyping it up down there you know i feel like we we really uh we're nearly like barbecue missionaries telling the gospel of smoked meats you know so when, I think when you talk about something with passion, it, it ignites in other people as well. A hundred percent. Now, have you ever thought to yourself, geez, if I had inadvertently visited Coney Island, I'd be hot dog carnivore right now. <laughs> I mean, the Look, world for um, you could be I'm a totally different place. No. no? Okay. I didn't know. I, I mean, you I, said you I visited Texas like... and barbecue was there. Maybe, you know, you, Little Italy and you've all of a sudden, you know, lasagna carnivore. I don't know. I'm digging I a deeper hole. I've had lasagna in my life before, but I think it's just what, what attracts us all to barbecue, which is especially seeing in Texas, you know, these big offset, nearly locomotive looking smokers, heavy steel, no dials, you know, nothing on it that, that is digital. Everything's analog. And how do they produce this food that tastes like this off this primal smoker and you don't kind of get that with hot dogs you know (laughs) i totally feel what you're saying so i'm up in canada right same deal it's just just coming now up here it's starting to canada is always 10 years behind everything we do so it's getting a lot cooler up here (laughs) and uh the the barbecue's finally starting I, i i was doing uh some research on you and i saw your you had broken in about your first brisket cook and then going back to Australia and getting your first brisket and how it, talking to your butcher, 
explaining a tri-tip or a picanha and they're just like blank, you know? And it's, it's still, you see picanhas on sale, you go in there and they've cut them into steaks and then mechanically tenderized them. And you're like, look, what have you done to my boy? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's brutal. It's, so we're slowly, slowly bringing it up here as well. But, and, and like you say, Canadians don't travel much either, which is weird because we're kind of, but you just, when you're in your own backyard, right? You don't really. And it was, so it was barbecue for me that, that got me down there. And oddly enough, Texas was a big one for me as well. As soon as I hit there, I did the exact same pilgrimage you did and just starstruck everywhere I went was just, it was perfect. So yeah, it's super cool to hear. And, uh, you've definitely done something amazing with Australia. Uh, I met Jay, actually, we, we talked about you beforehand, uh, the American Royal. And one of the things that I'm dying to ask you is from an agriculture standpoint, mm-hmm. how similar is Australia and Texas? Um, it's a great question. So I guess just for a little bit of context, I think one of the interesting things about me, for, about my journey that I find interesting is that I grew up in a city of 5 million people, very uh, detached from agriculture. So I knew that those were cows in the field, <laughs> but, you know, didn't know the difference between cow and steer kind of thing. Um, and it was in learning about barbecue that I had to learn so much about the ag world and even country agricultural towns in Australia that I never would have visited having lived there. I've nearly seen more of country Australia <laughs> on my trips back home to do things, you know, like feedlot associations and what have you. So, you know, Australia's a very big country, like US, like Canada. There are a lot of agricultural similarities. Usually the, the equivalents drawn between Queensland in Australia and Texas. So they're both sort of similarly away from the equator. They have the same climate and things like that. So where I'm from in Victoria, which is down south, so remember it's all in reverse, right? Get yep. colder as it goes down south. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's where we have sort of more lush grass. You'll see more grass-fed product, nearly like Vermont's kind of vibes. Um, or, or similarities, whereas the further north you go, the more kind of scrappy and arid it is. So that would be more on par with Texas, at least as far as cattle is concerned, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. No, but that's... there was a huge difference nationally between US and Australia. So one of the things that we came up against with butchery is we came from a British style of butchery. And then there, there was a huge difference in general in the industry. So we were slaughtering earlier. We didn't have the same genetics that the US had. You know, a lot of the Angus programs in the United States uh, have come from Montana Angus genetics that have been curated much, much longer than what we have been doing in Australia. But having said that, you know, Australia also focused on Wagyu before America did. So you're seeing some incredible Wagyu programs come out of Australia now, too. So it's definitely we're, we're feeding the animals a little differently. We do a lot of export in Australia as well. And you can find it now, but it's all like any meat industry anywhere in the world, supply and demand. So you're still limited. If one guy comes in and asks for a picanha, that still might not be enough for a butcher to, to bother learning what a picanha is. Yeah. Well, this is, first of all, the Australian gold grade Wagyu is incredible. <laughs> that, that's, that stopped me in my tracks the first time I was comparing that. To, to the American, I was like, this is, this is quite impressive. Like very, uh, that was smoke show in Toronto. It was incredible. So then after, after that, seeing that, um, I'm from Alberta. So Alberta beef is, is huge up here and, and it's cycled through the, the world as well. It, it's quite similar. Only we have the winters and everything else, but we have so many ranchers from Australia that come up here to our, our cattle expos and stuff like that. And they bring their cattle here for the awards and stuff like that. So it's actually very cool. I've, I've spent a lot of time with, with, uh, ranchers from Australia, just, just in that it, it, I think the next 10 years is going to be wild for everybody because everyone's kind of on the same page now. And I, I just, just, it's, I'm, I'm really interested to see where cattle goes from here. Now that everyone's sort of doing not the same thing, everyone's focusing on their own, but they're bringing their flair of their country to the same breed. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's really cool. It's, it's definitely something that, that, that is super interesting. And I know you're like a scientist now, <laughs> a meat scientist, right? So you must really appreciate that kind of stuff. It's Definitely. We're, we're in the halcyon days. It's the golden age of beef uh, yeah. as far as eating quality is concerned for sure. Are you one of the 
people that teach about the brisket and all of that such? I'm, I'm losing um, the name of that program. That would be a much better question uh, if I remember. Probably Foodways Texas at uh, uh, Camp Brisket at Texas A&M University. Yeah, yeah, the Texas A&M thing. Are you involved with that? Yes, I am. So I have been the opening speaker at Brisket Camp for the past six years, I want to say. We just did it last weekend. Nice. So it's always Congrats. held in January. Um, and that's pretty incredible to be a part of as well. So, and they have the brisket camp and then in the summer they do barbecue summer camp. And it really is like a two day intensive course of meat nerdery where you get to eat a whole bunch of barbecue as well and meet some really cool people. So what's not to like? Right. The waiting list probably is what's not to like. Yeah, but that's exactly. about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and of awesome. course, because of this wonderful experience you're having on the show, Mel and I are now at the top of the list of that waiting list, correct? <laughs> we've got a, we've punched our golden ticket right into Camp Brisket. My husband is an Aggie. He went to Texas A&M and I had to apply for special permission for him to just come to see my talk in the first year. So it is nearly impossible yep. to shirk the system on that. They are very, very strict. Yeah, it's worth noting. She said nearly impossible. She did not say no. I want to. I want to go on record, people, to say that. Uh, do you still run Burger Mary? Is that out there in the world somewhere? Was that your first entree into uh, the blogosphere? Yeah, that was just the blog that I started when I was traveling back and forth to Austin. I was eating a lot of burgers and Bloody Marys at the time, which is where the name Burger Mary came from. And right. so, I, you know, I, I is nearly like. You know, the little travel journals you keep as a kid, like, today I went to SeaWorld. It was the adult version of that from my trips to Austin. And and then that morphed to me talking more about the restaurants that I was eating at and the barbecue food and then sharing some recipes. And then it became so far from what it was originally started as, which was a true blog, that I, I just converted everything to the website under my own name, which is Primary Recipes now. The, so that's that's what happened to Burger Mary, if anyone's wondering. I didn't kill her. She never existed. <laughs> <laughs> and see, I mean, just to take you back to the hot dog reference, I mean, you weren't that far away from hot dog Mary. I mean, honestly, it could have been a whole right. a whole different. I, have to I won't ask, let this one you, go, are Jess. You, are you an investor? Like, what's the, <laughs> what's the connection with hot dogs here? That's it. That's it. Know. Chris is on the Snake River Farms team, so I'm guessing that next week is probably... The uh, why I go hot dog push. So (laughs) you never know. So the barbecue alliance is the equivalent of like a KCBS in Australia. Yeah. 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 So that that is the most logical place for us to start. We were looking to really build a community. There there were maybe literally five people that were doing Texas style barbecue, offset style smoked food spread through a very big country and so it's sort of like well how do you bring people together and jay started a competition in port macquarie where he's from and you know like those five people showed up with the smokers and then everyone else kind of showed up with like a kettle and and some crossed fingers and they had no idea what was going on but they loved it and we realized that there was this community that needs to be connected and it felt like barbecue competitions sort of you know, occurring would be the way to do that because you could also get people into the judging side and into um, the attendance side and things of that nature. So now, I mean, it's funny because Jay is obviously still connected to, we're we're all still the co-founders. None of us are on the board anymore because we wanted to really hand it over to the next gen and, and living over here, I didn't feel like I was serving the board very well, um, living in another country. But it was important for us to, I, I don't think that not, none of us are really connected that much with comp barbecue anymore is what I meant to say. So Jay is obviously through the comps he puts on at meat stock, but Adam and Adam used to compete quite a bit and dozen. And for me, you know, I, I had judged the Royal a couple of times and was involved in competition barbecue. And just for me personally, I think we all, you know, move on and evolve. And, and one thing that I could never reconcile, I never competed, but it got a little bit more difficult for me. Um, as it became as more competitive in Australia rather than just about the camaraderie of it, to reconcile the fact that that's not the way that any of us cook for our friends at home. And so yes. I definitely personally like to follow the path of, you know, food for eating sake, not competition sake, if that makes sense. Uh, 
uh, we had this exact conversation with uh, Dr. Barbecue himself, and that was my point. And I did a little bit of competition with the Dizzy Pig Barbecue team out of Manassas, Virginia, for a year or so, and I just didn't like it. I mean, I understood it. I saw what they were doing. I get it. You know, they're tasting so many bites, but I'm like, it just felt empty and vacuous to me. I'm like, if you have to inject every single bite with X, Y, or Z in order to compete, and what does it mean? And if you're not throwing your best cue down for people but i do understand that that is not the way a big competition could go but i don't like it i don't like competing it's i like the camaraderie i like the event Mm -hmm. but i don't like the things you have to do to me that isn't cooking for people it's cooking for judges and i'm a cooking for people kind of a guy yeah i think it would be cool if people could i guess introduce more of a traditional nearly like a food and wine festival format or a chili cook-off format where everyone can come and try it and you just truly vote for the one that you like best without necessarily having any qualification just really hard to do it's easy to do a chili cook-off it's harder to do i guess for other barbecue i mean at the end of the day it's morphed into what it is it grew naturally to become that it started as just a sauce competition kcbs did Oh, it, it's led itself on its own path. It's just I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. It's not something that that is the way that I like to cook. So I, it's more that I thought look, someone else probably serves this role better than I do, and I try and focus on other things. Yeah, is there something uniquely Australian about your Australian Barbecue Alliance and the competitions and the culture there? Is there something different, or does it? closely mapped to the American barbecue world? There are certain categories that make it different. Um, So, for example, in Australia, it's very common to find pork with skin on. And so we had to start... The the core structure of it is very similar to the American-style competitions. But it was like, well, do we allow skin? Because it was so common for them to, you know, get with and make crackling. And crackling is one of the best things you can eat. So it was sort of... In the early days, anyone who put crackling in their comp box was winning because all the judges were like, oh, this is great. And then everyone was like, that's not fair. We cook ribs. How are we supposed to do crackling? So we had some unique challenges that definitely had to be addressed. And Australia is also a big consumer of lamb protein. So lamb category was introduced as a core category. Uh, It's readily accessible and, and beloved. And lamb shoulder makes a great pulled meat. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I, I love lamb. I love lamb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My wife is from Louisville, Kentucky, and mutton is the big barbecue item in Owensboro, Kentucky. So I've done a lot of like that black barbecue sauce that they make there that's really good, the Worcestershire, Worcestershire, mm-hmm. Worcestershire um, base sauce. with uh, And I use lamb because you can never find mutton. So I will use sure. lamb and do it just like shoulder. So delicious. I've been blessed. I, I finally got tapped in to go to meat stock. So I'm headed to Sydney this year. Very excited. I'm awesome. going with, uh, yeah, going with Al Fergonian. It's my first time, uh, first time in Australia. We have a million transplants up here because we got the mountains in our, our province. So there's a million Australians that are snowboarder bums for like half the year. Right. And it's the exact opposite. So I, I'm super <laughs> pumped to go. I I've heard a million stories about it. So you're doing one this year, Melbourne. correct? Yeah, okay, I'm doing right. Melbourne just because that's my hometown, <laughs> and um, so I get to visit family at the same time as going to meet stock, and, and it, it works really well. I've done Sydney, I've done New Zealand, um, I've yet to do Toowoomba, that's, that one's new, but I'm excited to do that one day, hopefully as well. Nice. Well, if, if you could fill me and our, our listeners in on what meat stock is like in, in your own words, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, it's honestly, I'm, I'm nearly surprised that something doesn't exist like that in the States, but Jay's done such an incredible job of making it this unique festival. It's a two-day festival um, that encompasses all things barbecue and music. And then he has also sort of started to branch out and put little octopus tentacles out into other areas. So the, at its core, there's a stage with bands, so you've got the music festival aspect of it. Then you have barbecue vendors, so food trucks from around the country um, or around the city can come and just sell to the public. Uh, you've got demos and stages going on. There's a there's a shopping aspect to it, so you can go and, and people will be selling barbecue-centric goods. Uh, market, there's uh, usually barbecue competition associated at the same time. 
And there's Butcher Wars, which is what I'm going to be hosting this year, which Jay came up with as an auxiliary, which became so popular. It's one of the main events now. Just really trying to shine a spotlight on the traditions and art of craft butchery. So not just that it's, you know, you open some vacuum sealed packages that got sent from the factory, but the guys who can actually break down an animal and merchandise the food itself. So they compete live on stage, cutting down, you know, half a side of pork and some lamb and stuff like that. Um, and then I think he's even gotten into, if you just think of any, like, basically fun adjacent thing, I think he's got Barbara Wars, Barber Wars. No. So he's got like a mustache and bead competition going on. <laughs> and these are all things that have grown out of just kind of listening to and watching the people who are attending the crowd and, and bringing in things that, are uh, complementary to to the barbecue as well. And it just becomes this super fun, like, think about the state fair if it were just around barbecue as its core. So you can, you you know, you don't even have to know what competition barbecue is. If you do, you can walk through the teams and kind of check it out. If you want to just go for the music and happen to eat barbecue while you're there, fine. If you want to see some big names, you know, Tuffy's done it in the past. Um, Big Mo's been out there. Um, it's a great opportunity for locals to, to meet some bigger names from the United States as well and hear from them in demos and such. It's just so fun. It's just oh. such a fun day. Oh. Oh, I, and it goes so... from different cities. It's not always in the same space or place. It is. It just repeats in different cities every year. So you've always one in Melbourne and Sydney. There's always one in Auckland, New Zealand. And um, he's done, I think this is the second one in Toowoomba, which is in Queensland. Oh, so, so every year it'll be at each one of those cities. Correct. Not just, it's not at one of those cities one year and then the next year it's in another city. Oh, so this is a big yep. deal. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. No, he, yeah. he even a, started one in New Zealand, and I think last year was the first one in Brazil. Was it Brazil? Yes. Yeah, uh, I, think, I don't know if they did a meat stock in Brazil. I know they did a butcher wars. Maybe they okay. did, but I thought it was definitely a butcher wars over there. But, um, yeah. you know, it's just speaking that universal language that allows it all to be brought together. And and on the, on the butcher wars topic, I have to say again, uh, I have a few friends that are on the World Butchers Challenge team for Canada, and they, uh-huh. they met you... They met you this year and they were, they were telling me or, uh, in 2022, right. And they were telling me uh, they're so excited because I've, I've been dealing they're with so them breaking nice. down animals and just with COVID there was nothing and they're just sitting in park, you know, and they're just raring to go. And then when they explained to me what it was like having the, everything hung there, right. No refrigeration yeah. and just go like it. Oh, so how, how did you like doing that? Cause that, that must have I been loved just it. Wow. I, I loved it. And butchers are some of the best people that I know, honestly. And, and I think that they're, you know, we don't often realize how difficult their jobs are or rather how special their craft is to be more specific. You can, you can butcher an animal, but there's a whole other thing to really cutting it up and, and creating meals for people, which old school mom and pop butcher shops do. So they'll come in and have ready to eat concepts for you. Um, they're supposed to guide you on the cooking as well. And, and Canada was just the nicest people. Um, so <laughs> the Peter's the <laughs> captain, you know, and Corey Meyer really well. And uh, Elise, but um, Taryn. Oh, Taryn competed in Butcher Wars in Auckland. And then I okay. met her. So the World Butcher Championship took place in Sacramento. And it's literally uh, equivalent of the Olympics of meat. So they had 13 teams from around the world send a team over. And it was held in an arena. It was at the Golden One Center. It was amazing. So that morning, they had these huge, like, H-frames or A-frames or whatever they call them out of steel. And they hung up an entire side of beef, an entire side of pork, um, a whole lamb, and five chickens. And the challenge more than anything was, you know, as any of us would know, when you start to cut meat that is warmed slightly, it becomes a very different beast. And so they really had the challenge of not only getting all of that cut up merchandise at the same time, they were also judged on how well they used that product, how much trim was left, but they had the added challenge of an audience and uh, that it's not a refrigerated setting. So it definitely would have gotten much more difficult as it went on. Yeah. And you had touched on this one being Australian, but so Elise is a good friend of mine. We broke down a, a hog together, 140 pound and we turned it into a porchetta head on. 
and That's just awesome. to to be with her while she broke that down and deboned from the the jaw right to the hips right it was like to to see the amount of detail and work and then when she was cinching it up i'm like and this is like you say butchers are always like usually fairly honest nice great people that you could just sit down and have a beer with at any time well, I don't know if it has something to do with them having like deadly weapons and, and <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? But they're the person who could disappear someone the quickest and they're also the nicest people in the city. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I absolutely love that. And she's uh, classically British trained, right? So I, I see a lot of that in the Australian stuff that I'm looking at. So th- that's really cool that you guys have that kind of, it's neat. Yeah, like you wouldn't, it's not even a thought to buy a pork roast in Australia that doesn't have the skin on, but it's nearly impossible to find in the US. Is that just a cultural thing for Australians? They just like the skin. Right. Yeah. Well, we like crackling here too, but we don't see skin on the pork. Apparently not enough. Okay. So there's a couple (laughs) things that come to mind when I think of you. Three things that your rub, the hardcore carnivore black, that was really, I think, the first rub that used that charcoalized uh, component to it. It looks so pretty, and, and it's such a great rub. Reverse sear, I feel like you were the first person to really champion that technique for cooking. May not. It may be a bad association, but I really feel like Jess brought the reverse sear thing that everybody uses all the time and then the thing i'm seeing all over the place now is to the just keep flipping you know you're breaking that sort of oh leave the steak there and then turn it after four minutes and then leave the steak there just keep flipping so what of all of those things or anything that i haven't mentioned what is the thing that you do that everybody else in your swim lane would be like that's not how you do it but you have found that it really works for you just keep flipping um i definitely put out articles on reverse sear when i started they got a lot of traction because i think people were getting more confident about cooking meat at that time um but just keep flipping was my personal solution past that and so you know because we all learn oh yeah reverse sear reverse sear and then i I was standing at the grill one day and i was just like not getting a good crust and i found myself just naturally starting to do this just keep flipping method and you know it's like anything we one of the things that we talk about at brisket camp is an an average pit master at a a hyper successful restaurant in texas is going to cook 7500 briskets a year you cannot replicate that amount of experience in the real world and so just continually cooking steaks and experimenting with it i think led me down the path to just keep flipping that's how i like steaks and that's the other thing that no one really talks about. Like, we we understand that, you know, eggs and steak are really the only two things that you can order how you like it at a restaurant where you're actually given a choice of preference and doneness. And there's so much more on top of that, though. Like, I am someone who, for me to think it's an excellent steak, it has to have an excellent crust. I'm not interested in grill marks. I would rather have a flat consistent lovely surface which you know is another funny thing about the sca cook-offs and the steak cook-offs that have come up just throwing you back to competition barbecue it has become (laughs) understood even though it's not technically a rule that to win you must have those crosshatch grill marks on them but if you go to high-end steakhouses like peter luger's the big like iconic steak places they're doing salamander like full crust cooking it's kind of outback steakhouse that's doing the hatch you know so well it's i mean the way my experience is you're leaving all that flavor anytime you're not seeing the darkness on the top of meat like that you're missing that mired reaction and the flavor through the caramelization you get with the heat and the natural stuff and so to me i get it uh, we do all the social media stuff it looks great in pictures blah 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 but when I see grill marks, I see a whole bunch of squares of no flavor. They're like, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, you know, tic-tac-toe of no flavor. I'm going to do an X right there because it needs more flavor. And that's the way I look at it. I think that's a great way to describe it. So, so that's definitely something I've been championing. And at the end of the day, you know, I didn't invent it. I invented it in my own methods, meaning that I naturally, without influence from anybody else, started cooking in that way but i was not the first to cook in that way 
nor can anyone expect to really claim the first, given how long humans have been cooking over this fire. I'm yeah. sure someone has been managing it some way or another. But I think just sometimes defining, giving it a name, owning it, helps people assign it to you. And that's kind of what happened. But your communication yeah. style, your ability to write about it, and you were really at the forefront of social media, blogging, and this whole intersection of these worlds and your passion, your ability to convey that. So again, I mean, it's just like in music, there's X amount of notes and X amount of chords. Everything ticks and ties right back to the Rolling Stones. I don't care you know, what band you are in, they did those same three chords 50 years ago. Same with cooking, but if you have a great style, and that's, that's Mel and I have this conversation all the time, you may be doing a brisket video and there's 10 billion out there, but if people like the way you communicate and you convey it, that's what you do it for. So you've done a great job. With Very true. Stuff. Yeah. Thank you. That's, I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, there is one thing that you, you have been pretty, pretty much credited for, and that was putting charcoal in a rub. Is that not correct? <laughs> yes. I, I'm pretty sure that's pretty sure that's correct. No one's actually come out and said it, I think, but you're, I, I you're will the, say this. I, I was not aware of there being any other rubs. There, there were one or two that existed that had been around for many, many years and were hyper-regional. Like, I've got this whole disclaimer that I have to make now, right? Because it's like, <laughs> the same thing. I had the idea without being influenced from anywhere else and then set about right. trying to activate it. But I will definitely claim that we made it popular. Yes. Um, if 100%. you are now familiar with charcoal rubs, it's because of hardcore carnivore black <clears throat> is, is something I'm very comfortable saying. Um, nearly everything else out on the market now is a copycat of what I, I created in 2016. That was a mighty soft flex there, young lady. That was like, you're just like, you're like I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. I'm definitely proud of that one. I'm definitely proud You should proud be. It's a great rub. And, and that, thank you, thank you. It, it came from a place of, you know, I wasn't very confident as a meat cook. This is all part of the journey as well. I didn't really know which cuts to buy at the grocery store. And in learning about barbecue, I started unlocking all of this other knowledge about meat in general, um, grilling as well as barbecue, et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that I struggled with that, you know, if someone now asked me, what are your top three tips for grilling? Or, um, or a new griller, I'm like, well, get a decent thermometer and understand the importance of temperature. Also understand that your home setup, especially if it's a propane grill and definitely if it's a, a stove on the indoors, is very different to a restaurant setup. If you haven't worked at a restaurant, which a lot of us ha hadn't, not everyone mm -hmm. does a job in a kitchen, you, you would have no idea that they have completely different equipment, a completely right. different, that, that functions completely differently and gets much hotter. So... You know, I was struggling with the fact that I couldn't get a reasonable cast iron sear in my house without sending every smoke detector off. And then you mm. realize it's because the, our gas stoves are not going to keep that cast iron as hot as it needs to be for that first flip. So your choice was that either you can overcook the steak if you want to get the crust that you want or have a perfect inside with a pretty underwhelming crust. And that's kind of where that idea for black came about. It's nearly like, in some ways, training wheels, because it gets you that color without being tempted to overcook the steak. But at the end of the day, it's, I think it's just a really good tasting rub. It's really simple. It makes your meat taste really good. Um, it's not like it's cheating. I wouldn't say that at all. No, not at all. And plus, I just think it's the depth of flavor in it too, the garlic notes. It's the appropriate amount of salty. So you get the aesthetic. It's black and it gives you that nice crust. But it also is really... Um, especially after it's been heated, the flavors that combine and come across complement the steak in particular really well. I imagine it go great on chicken, but you have the hardcore carnivore red for that. Um, but it, it, it definitely looks great. So the, the question begs, is there a hardcore carnivore green or yellow coming out? I mean, gonna, the yellow like curry would be a good like rub, a green like uh, the, the, the chimichurri type of rub. What do you got? What's I, next? I leave the chimichurris up to Al because he does a yeah. great job with that. But, you know, something you said is actually really interesting that not a lot of people recognize, <clears throat> which is you mentioned what it tastes like after it's been cooked and Something I always find amusing when people go into buy rubs in stores or, you know, they have access to it. They'll take a pinch and try it out of the bottle. It tells and you nothing. 
Tells you nothing. I mean, first of all, the, your your pinch is probably not going to get an equal distribution of the of size, coarseness, right. variety of ingredients yeah. that comprise that rub and which one is hitting your tongue first. But then mm-hmm. for me, there's a sharpness to it that gets softened during cooking that changes the flavor profile. So it'll... It'll let you know if there's any ingredients that, that you don't like in there. Like if you don't like cumin, you know, it. you can learn that immediately. But even no, that, not... like, mellows and, and blends well. I mean, you can't know anything without cooking. It gives you a point in the right direction. Yeah. But mostly you just get salt or sugar when you taste a rub in that way. So to really know what it's going to do is seeing how it fuses with time and heat and the protein. Mm-hmm. That I think Very is much good. so. Very much so. So one thing, you know, this is kind of cool talking to you and thinking about this is that you're a woman, but I don't even think about that. Like I had to think about that all the way through almost at the end, but early on when you were breaking into this industry and world, that must have been a really big deal and it must have offered some challenges for you. So like I'm constantly being corrected by my wife. You know, I can't say like, he's a handy man. He's a handy person, you know? So I'm now, I'm trying to be, you know, more, but for you coming into the, <laughs> I had to throw that one in for Debbie. Sorry That's, about that. Uh, for you though, cracking into this traditionally male dominated world, especially back in 2015, what was that challenge like for you? And what do you feel like we've talked about what you've done for the rubs, what you've done for the industry, your homeland of Australia, you know, you've done all of this for the barbecue world, but we've left off a big aspect of it. You're kind of like one of the pioneers of women in barbecue, women in the culinary field. And now you see them everywhere, but you didn't when you were on the scene in 2015. So what are your thoughts on that? Tell us a little bit about that path and your journey to get to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Obviously, there there are lots of great women that came before me, especially in the competition barbecue um, world. Um, Melissa Cookson's a very obvious one. But I like that you have said that you it nearly didn't occur to you in some ways that I'm a, I'm a woman. Like, it wasn't a, a consideration point for us talking today because that's how I want it to be. Um, I want people to receive my advice recipes because they're really good not because i'm a woman um i earn my place at the table i think from hard work and lots of research and making sure that my recipes work that my meat science knowledge is to the point where it's university accredited um so i deserve the voice that i have built for myself from that aspect and i think there are pros and cons to it honestly you know I think one of the things that we've seen now, I agree with you, There's, and it's wonderful to see there's a, a significant amount of women in the barbecue and grilling space now. Honestly, I think one of the biggest facilitators of that was the invention of the pellet grill. And that's not to say that women can't operate smokers because they absolutely could. It's nearly like the men were keeping it a secret to try and get their backyards to themselves so they could drink beer in peace. <laughs> for a while but it's how i raised my so... children jess it's right it's how i got through the 18 years of turmoil <laughs> of raising children in my life so thank goodness you know, for and, the pits and, and the beers well and 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 conversely i you know i don't say that as a negative thing i i, I think that it was also the women telling the men to get out of the kitchen because they right. got this it's yeah. nearly like that safe space for each person or that, that personal space, I think about it, you know, I live here with my husband and the only room in the house that is mine technically is my closet. You know, we share a bathroom, we share a bedroom, we share an office, we share everywhere else in the house. Um, he also is not allowed in the kitchen or on my grills, but that's a very unique situation. But I think that's where it kind of, I think that's where it started. However, with the pellet grill, because I know that for me it was, oh, I, I don't know how to grill. It's too dirty. It's too complicated. Not sure about it. And it just made it more accessible. It's made it accessible for men and women alike, honestly. And I think that that opened the door to people not being afraid to create smoked dishes. And that's sort of where it started and it starts rolling from there, which, which I think is just a good thing. The more people that are involved, you know, the more, the more ships 
float on a rising tide, right? But uh, I don't, I think there are some nuances, honestly. For every benefit there is to being a woman, there's a detriment. And for every detriment, there's a benefit. So it all evens out in the wash. And by that, I mean, you know, there may have, may be deals or opportunities that I've gotten because someone was looking to, to be more diverse. Um, and for every one of those, I might have missed an opportunity because I kind of wanted, yeah. Well, yeah, or I can't, you know, it's not as easy to bro down. So, for example, I can't, this is going to sound really weird, but go with me on it. I can't <laughs> randomly DM someone or slide into your inbox as a woman to a man without sort of clarifying that it's not like that. And no, I'm married and nowhere to hear just to talk about me. There's sort of this awkwardness. Yeah, even that. There's an awkwardness <laughs> that's there that I think allows men to men to make some connections a little easier than men to women as well. You know, so whether it's, you know, a, a, a celebrity messaging going like, your stuff's sick. I want to, you know, I, I would, I'd love to cook with you sometime. Sometimes there's just a weird dynamic about the man-woman relationship that I think makes it easier for, for men to men. But again, it, it's kind of a wash. But I will say that I have worked my ass off and continue to do so to, to be where I'm at. I, I do have to say, I, I've spent a ton of time with uh, Danielle behind the scenes. Right, DivaQ, um, mm -hmm. even Christina Fitzgerald. Right, we met her at uh, Memphis in May, and then I met her again. It's nice that you don't do the whole punch you in the face before <laughs> beforehand kind of thing that some of the ladies on the circuit do. You know what I mean? You're a lot more approachable, which is awesome. I like like insist I, too hard. Yeah, I, I'm, I am actually intimidated of Christina Fitzgerald and like, I'm a pretty big dude. And she like, you know, when she's, when she's on point, she's, she's on point. Then, there is no, yeah. you're, you're, you're definitely, you carry yourself a lot more professional, not, not professional. I don't want to say professional, but you, you're definitely a lot easier to deal with, I guess, or take in than a lot of, a lot of other people on there. And that, that, that's really cool because, uh, I appreciate that. That is a very kind thing to say. I know Danielle personally, and you know, even she and I went through a little time of being more grating than everything being greased <laughs> up and smooth. But I yeah. think it's just because she is someone who I definitely would say has paved the way. And yeah. I think that she had to deal with such adversity that it probably caused her to steal herself to that extent where people, feel intimidated um and and i'm grateful to her for allowing folks like me and even the next generation to be able to walk into the space without having to prove ourselves um yeah. and so i think what you're saying is like a great testament to the fact that i think it's super neat everyone's like oh you know what do you think about what you do i'm like well i'm a woman from another country who moved to texas to teach mainly men how to cook yeah yeah, I would say that, that people have been pretty receptive to it. If people didn't want to learn from me, I would probably be back in Australia by now, you know? <laughs> that, and that that's one thing I do have to say about Texas, because every time I go there, I stay with Al, and I, I do the whole tour all the time. Okay. I do the pilgrimage, and, and it's Texas is not nearly as hard as people say they are. They let me in like, and bring me right in, right into the kitchen, wherever I go, everywhere I go. They're, they're the most welcoming, kind, polite people. I, I think Canadians were just, you know, you could, you could be delivering a parcel for UPS and all of a sudden you're sitting on my couch having a coffee. Like it's, that's how we, and, and Texas is much the same, right? Like it's, uh, I've really Texans loved it. Like, could, te Texans like anyone who loves Texas. So when That's you're it. coming to Texas to explore yeah. barbecue, they're willing to show you. They're not, Texans do not gatekeep. They're no. like, you want to come here and drink beer, shoot guns and drink and eat barbecue? Rock and roll. <laughs> that That's, yeah, that that's, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in not a. all uh, at the same time, mind you. That, that's oh, so weird. I bet it's been done all at the same time. <laughs> but that's that 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 would be the true competition at the next meat stock is how you do all that right at the same time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Is your husband Australian or is he American? No, my husband's Texan. He is a big old Texan, and he has had to get used to my accent over the years. He he smiled politely a lot in our first year of dating when he couldn't really understand what I was saying. 
But he gets have you nice. taken on, have you softened a little of the Australian accent and taken Definitely. on some of the draw that is known as Texan? Yes, I, I say y'all natively now. It, it's very mm-hmm. natural to me. But one cool thing both Australians and Texans say um, is I reckon. So that was that's yeah. something Australians say. So like, ah, oh, I, reckon, I reckon that would be a, a, a good thing to cook up. You know, everyone's like, oh, you're so Texan now. I'm like, except that that's hyper-Australian. <laughs> so <sorry>. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. I always love when my wife, who's from Louisville, Kentucky, it mm-hmm. throws in the all y'all. You know, you know oh, it's yeah. all happening now when you get all y'all. That's all y'all need to come in here right now. It's time to eat. Ooh, dang. All y'all. Okay, that's So serious. in our yeah. closing yeah. moments, other than yes. thanking you profusely to spend an hour of your time with us here and avoiding the uh, antlers from appearing out of the back of your head the entire time. You were very <laughs> aware of that, and I appreciate that. Sure. Um, what's next for you? We've talked about all the great, amazing things that you have done and that you are doing, but it's a new year. It's a new yes. you. What are you doing next, Jess? Oh, my goodness. Um, there's always something on the bubble, on, on the back burners and... Um, you know, in the immediate, I'm headed to the shed next week for their SCA cook-off and then, uh, going hunting this week. And then immediately after that, I'll be at CattleCon in New Orleans. So there's a lot of speaking engagements. I'm going to meet stock. Um, I'm still obviously always looking to see if we need, uh, what kind of new hardcore pro- carnivore products we should bring to the line. Um, so there's always something going on. I always have a planner at my desk with a million sticky notes everywhere of, of, of stuff happening. I hope to do a lot more classes this year. I actually didn't do any classes. I did demos last year, but no classes. And it will be cool to get back into that because it's been a little break from the circuit. Um, but yeah, there's, I, I, I love having a full calendar. It keeps me very, uh, very happy. And then one thing, you know, I always, I always think about it from that aspect. I know I'm, I'm talking more than you, wanted me to but I I think of it in terms of like what's coming up on the calendar but realistically I also have to stay home and film content you know I think I under I undervalue how much time that takes and so I'm definitely going to be doing that a lot too yeah that's awesome well if we see a hardcore carnivore green or yellow do I get any kind of like monthly stipend (laughs) from you for that okay I just want to make sure I give you my commitment (laughs) here that is awesome Uh, that's awesome you are an amazing person a true trailblazer in the industry i cannot wait to meet you in person uh one of these days it sounds like mel's going to be meeting you next week because he's going to be a judge at the uh shed uh too so you will have to hook up yeah that'll be wicked That'll be great. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. It was a great show. I can't wait for this to air and all of our fans and people to hear all about you. Thank y'all so much. I love y'all's questions. It was really fun to chat. Awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Have a wonderful day. Well, that was a fantastic interview. I thought I knew everything about Jess, but I feel like now I didn't know everything about Jess Prowls. But honestly, I find her refreshing. I do. I I, I really like how she carries herself. Um, when she gets really super scientific, right? Like you were asking about the the camp brisket brisket camp. Yeah, I, I've seen clips from that, and I could listen to her all day because she's yeah. very well spoken, and that's that's my my big thing. So, well, you know I, me, I, that's the kind of the way I like to approach how I do things is be more, you know, detail oriented and here's how you do it and here's why. Um, and I like that about her. So the videos and stuff, I mean, she, she doesn't mess around when it comes to butchering and her knowledge of meats. And also I thought it was really cool the way I didn't call her on it during the interview, but she also softly flexed again when she was like, well, you know, my meat knowledge is so much I'm accredited from at the university level. I mean, it's, that's, that's her she she is 
uh, very knowledgeable in that way and could convey it in a way where people understand and learn. And that's a great combination. I really enjoyed 100%. that talk. Yeah. 100%. Well, that was, that was a great podcast. Um, I, I really enjoyed having her as a guest. I, I do have to stress to our listeners, to anybody tuning in, anybody that uh, hasn't clicked subscribe yet, make sure you hit subscribe, hit the bell, do the things, get all the things done. Uh, hit us up on Spotify and Apple, whatever, whatever. You know, put, a, you put like some comments what you're down. Hearing, you need to subscribe so you can hear more. This is just the start. Um, 100%. What's funny about this is these are our early episodes, and I can't wait for people to go, you know, God, listen to the way you are and your show is now. And those are, these are the early episodes. This is our pioneering days. We are on the Oregon Trail of podcasting. That's it. Now, make sure also you hit us up and let us know what we could be doing better what you want to see, what you enjoy, right? If you want us to have a, a two-minute segment about penguin meat every single episode, we'll do it. I don't care. I'm I'm totally down with it. I'm I'm easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. That's it. Let's get it going. So, All right, I'm, brother. I'm, uh, well, as always, the best part about filming an episode is spending a couple of hours with you. So thank you for hanging out with me again, brother man. Cheers, man. This, is, this has been great. I cannot wait to do it again very soon. Yep. And uh, yeah. Happy trails, brother. All right, brother. 